This morning I'd like to begin by reading two passages of scripture from the book of Romans. The first one I'd like to call your attention to is in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For all have sinned, everyone. Young, old, rich, poor, black, white, yellow, red, male, female, for all. This is one place in the Bible where they all embraces the entire human race. For all. That includes us here this morning. Are there any sinners in the house today? The only place I know where there aren't any sinners is over here to my right. There's nobody over there. But there's plenty of other sinners in the house, including in the pulpit. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now I want to read to you the first verse of Romans 8. There is therefore now, right now, no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Now here's the question on my mind this morning, and I trust the Lord will bless us to understand it. How can there be no condemnation to those that are in Christ if all have sinned and come short of the glory of God? The Lord being my helper this morning, I want to Answer that question scripturally. Let's go back just a moment to Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. For all have what? Sinned and come short. That means you just came up short. You missed the mark. All human beings are sinners. We have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. That is... We're not worthy to be glorified. We're not worthy to go to heaven. We are sinners. And we stand condemned in the presence of a thrice holy God. You know, pastors, preachers always trying to find illustrations to help um, teach a lesson. And I thought of this this morning. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God Most people are familiar with football. We all watch football. We enjoy the sport. Imagine this morning a team is down a hundred points. It's a hundred to zero. Do you think that team's got much chance of winning? And let's say they got 99, they got the ball, but they got 99 yards to go and five seconds left on the clock. How many of y'all think that team's got a chance of winning? Even the children will understand that. You know they don't stand a chance of winning. But did you know that team would stand a lot better chance of winning that football game than you and I have of going to heaven by our works? I appreciated some endorsements on that point. Beloved, we are hopeless in ourselves. We are lost. 
We are ruined. And some people say, well, I'm just going to try a little harder. Like the football team. I don't care how hard. About all they can do is just lay down and cry. Would you agree? They're down a hundred to nothing, five seconds on the clock, and they got 99 yards to go. I'd say that's hopeless. Well, that's you and me in our sinful condition. For all have sinned, all have sinned, and come short of the glory of God. You may say, well, Brother Sam, I know I'm, I'm not perfect, but I'm so much better than so and so. Well, okay, but you're still coming short of the glory of God. You've missed it. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The best person that has ever lived on this earth has sinned and come short of the glory of God. So how can Paul, a few chapters later, in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 say, There is therefore now, right now, no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. What has happened between Romans 3 and Romans 8? What what happened? Well, I want to tell you, beloved, between Romans 3 and Romans 8, our Savior came into this world and took all of our sins as though they were His sins. And He bore them in His own body on the tree of the cross and paid the sin debt in full. He not only paid the debt, but He took the guilt so that He left His children without any guilt at all. Now that is a miracle. That's beyond my comprehension. How our guilt can be taken away. I can understand how a person owes a debt and somebody else comes along and pays the debt and uh, that debt is paid. I can understand that. But what I can't understand is how the guilt itself is taken away. I heard this illustration years ago. This young girl was in college and uh, she was speeding one day, trying to get to a class, and the patrolman stopped her and gave her a ticket for speeding. Have any of y'all ever had that experience? <laughs> well, she got a ticket, and she didn't have any money to pay. It was going to be $200, and she couldn't pay, so she appeared before the judge, and she said, your Honor, she honored him. Judge, Your Honor, uh, I can't pay this. I can't pay this debt. And the judge said, "Well, the law says you've either got to pay it, or you've got to spend thirty days in jail." She said, "Sir, if I spend thirty days in jail, I'll fail." And my parents have gone to a great sacrifice to get me in college, and. She said, I, I can't miss, I can't miss my classes. I can't go to jail, but I can't pay. So the judge said, well, I can't help it. The law is the law. So he gets up and pulls off his robe and puts on his suit coat. 
And he walks around in front of the bar and stands there beside this young girl. And he takes his billfold out and pays the $200 in full. Lays it down on the desk. Are y'all following me? Just picture this. And then he goes around and puts his robe back on and he says, young lady, you owe $200 and the law says it's got to be paid or you go to jail. But I see here your debt has been paid. You're free to go. How do y'all reckon that young lady would feel? I tell you, she'd be happy. She'd walk out of there probably two feet off the ground. That would be wonderful, wouldn't it? The debt was paid. But you know what? She was as guilty when she left the courthouse as she was when she got there. The judge could not assume the guilt. Tell me, how could the God of this universe, the judge of all the earth, fix it so that at Calvary, not only our sin debt was paid, but our guilt was laid on Jesus. And he bore it in his own body. I want to go with you a moment over to First uh, Corinthians chapter five. Excuse me, Second Corinthians chapter five to one of my favorite verses in the Bible. I know y'all have heard me say that a lot about different verses. It just depends on what Sunday it is, as to which one is my favorite. But I love this verse. Listen, in Second Corinthians chapter five. Uh, And verse 21, the Apostle Paul said, For he, that is God, hath made him, his son Jesus, to be sin for us, who knew no sin. Jesus Christ was not a sinner. He was holy, he was harmless, he was undefiled, he was separate from sinners. You know anybody else like that? No, sir, I don't. But Jesus was holy, harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners. No fault was found in him. He knew no sin. For God the Father hath made his Son Jesus to be sin for us. Not just the sin bearer, but sin itself for us who knew no sin. And you know what the result of that was? That he, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Jesus took my sins and my guilt and gave me His righteousness. I want to use another illustration this morning that might help you all to understand the point I'm trying to make. Let's say this little calendar I've got here represents uh, all of my sins, all of your sins. I know the book is too small to represent all our sins, but for the illustration, I want you to imagine all of our sins are, rec- rec- are represented by this little, this little uh, calendar in my hand. And here are my sins and your sins on us. And you know what our sins would do? They would condemn us to hell forever. One sin would be enough. But look at all of our sins. Just what we did last week would be enough to send us to hell. I suspect some of us have done enough this morning. (laughs) You know, if you think 
that your sin nature is gone, all I need to do is talk to your marriage partner. <laughs> do I get a witness? <laughs> We're all sinners. Y'all do understand that. And here are our sins. And they're weighing us down. And here is Jesus on the cross without sin. Holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. You know what happened at Calvary? God, the judge of all the earth, took my sins and your sins. And you know what he did with them? He laid them over here on his son, Jesus Christ. Oh, my soul. Look at him at Calvary. That bleeding, suffering, 33-year-old, olive-complected Jewish man, crowned with thorns, with human spittle on him, his back having been scourged and beaten by Roman whips until his own mother could hardly recognize him. There he is on the cross. Look at him. You know why he's there? Because of my sins and your sins. And let me tell you some good news this morning. I know I had a lot of bad news this morning in the prayer request. I want to give you some good news. The best news in the world. When Jesus Christ died on that cross, He said, it is finished. And you know what was finished? Your sin debt was paid. And your guilt was canceled out. So that now... You, you stand before God as though you had never sinned. So now we come to Romans chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation, no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. You say, well, Brother Sam, I want to get in Jesus. <laughs> if there's no condemnation in Jesus Christ, I want to get in there. How do we get into Jesus? Now, that's an important question. Theologians differ a lot on this, but I think the Bible makes it very clear how God's children get in to Jesus. And I want to go back to uh, Corinthians a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and let's notice in verse 30. But of God are ye in Christ Jesus. Now listen to it, folks. But of Him, that is of God the Father, are ye in Christ Jesus. You know how you got into Jesus Christ? The Father put you in Him. Y'all get that? But of Him are ye in Christ Jesus. You didn't get into Jesus by believing in Him. You didn't get into Jesus by joining the church. You didn't get into Jesus by being baptized. You didn't get into Jesus by living a good life. God the Father put you in His Son, Jesus Christ. But of Him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. I want to use another illustration. You know, uh, one preacher said one time that illustrations to a sermon are like windows to a building. They give you light. <laughs> they help you to see. So I want this illustration this morning to help you all. Let's say uh, that I put this, this uh, calendar in this book. I just, now, now look, you all do see I put it in there. The calendar didn't put itself in there. <laughs> Y'all do know how the, how the calendar gets in the book. I put it in there. That's how you get into Christ. God the Father puts you in there. Now, I put the calendar in the book, 
And then I wrap the book into a, uh, say I go out and, and, and dig a hole, and I put the book in the hole and bury it. Now, you know what happened to the book? I buried it. You know what happened to the calendar? Now, that's not a trick question. That's a simple question. Y'all do know what happened to the calendar, don't you? It went in the hole, too, because it's in the book. Now, if I go dig it up three days later and put it in a parcel, and I put a London, England address on that parcel, and I send the book to England, you know where the calendar's going? (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Somebody's listening. He said England. That's right. The book is going to England. So is the calendar, because the calendar is in the book. Now, I want to tell you, God the Father put you and me in His Son, Jesus Christ, So that when he was on the cross 2,000 years ago, you and I were there with him representatively. And when they buried him, we we were buried with him. And praise God, three days later, when he came out of the grave, we came out with him representatively. Now we're going to experience it in reality someday. But I'm telling you all the truth. Legally, you and I are already in heaven. I get excited about this. I look at this broken, messed up, dying world we're in down here, and I'm telling you, I get excited that there's a place called heaven where you and I are going, and we're going by grace alone through the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe if He did it all, we ought to give Him all the glory. That's what we're doing right here this morning, giving Him all the glory for our salvation. But of Him are you in Christ Jesus. Paul said, in, uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, according as He hath chosen us in Him. Now, a lot of people don't like the doctrine of election, but you're going to have to cut a lot of your Bible out if you don't like it, because it's all over the Bible. God chose us in Christ when? Before the foundation of the world. He chose. That little term, in Christ, is a beautiful expression. And it's one of the keys to unlocking the New Testament. And Paul uses it over and over and over again. And, and, the, and, and Jude even used it when he was writing his little epistle. You remember what Jude said? Jude said that we are sanctified by God the Father. God the Father, the first person of the Trinity, set us aside, sanctified us. And we are what? Preserved in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ. You know what it means to be preserved? It means you'll never spoil. You know, if you go to your pantry and you open up a can of peaches and they're spoiled, you know what that tells you? They never were preserved. Because <laughs> if it's preserved, it won't spoil. Now, if you're going to can peaches or strawberries or pears or whatever, if you're going to if you're going to can them, what do you want? You want a clean container to preserve them in. Well, our Father in heaven has preserved us in Jesus Christ. And I can't think of a cleaner vessel than Jesus Christ. Can y'all? He was sinless. No, no bacteria in Jesus Christ. And God the Father has preserved us in Jesus Christ. And if you're preserved, that means you're going to keep forever. And you're preserved in Jesus Christ. That little term, in Christ, is a beautiful expression for us. Now let's go back here to Romans chapter 8. Therefore, There is therefore now 
no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. And why is that? Because Jesus Christ bore their sins in his own body, paid for them in full, took the guilt. See, God the Father treated his son Jesus on that cross like he would have treated us in hell. That's why when Jesus was up there on that cross between heaven and earth, uh, he cried out and said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I'll tell you why the Father forsook him. If he hadn't, Jesus couldn't have died. If the Father had been there with him, Jesus couldn't have died. The Father walked away and left him alone. And he died the loneliest death the world has ever known. And there on that cross, Jesus died alone. His Father had forsaken him so that he wouldn't have to forsake us. How many of y'all are thankful for that? Come on, folks. I'm talking about something that's real and eternal and glorious. You will not be forsaken in your death because your Savior was forsaken in His. You know, people say, I, I, you know, I hate it that my loved one died alone. And a lot of these COVID deaths, the family can't be there. And I understand what people are saying when they say, I, I just hate my mama had to die alone. But I've got good news. They don't die alone. You know why? Because the only one that can really comfort them is right there. How many of y'all really believe this? <laughs> I believe it with all my heart and soul. There is such a thing as living grace which I need every day, but there is such a thing as dying grace. And Jesus Christ will be there and just let them down easy and let them go to sleep in Jesus. And that Spirit leaves that body and goes to glory. I tell you, and it's all because of one man, Jesus Christ. Now, there is therefore now, right now, no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Now let's go back to Romans chapter 7, just a little while this morning, and look at it, and get the backdrop for Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 7, our beloved Apostle Paul, one of the greatest men that's ever lived, a man that I highly esteem, beyond my ability to find words to express, our beloved Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7 is having a moment of transparency for all of us when he begins to tell us about his own struggle with his flesh. How many of y'all know what it is to have to deal with a sinful flesh? I wish I could pull mine off and leave it somewhere, but it goes with me everywhere I go. Can I get a witness from anybody in the house? Anybody know what it is to have to deal with a sinful, fleshly nature? You know, as human beings, we are prone to look at everybody else's weaknesses and not at our own. I heard a term the other day I thought was very interesting, problemologist. A problemologist is somebody that can find every problem in your life, every, everything wrong, a problemologist can find all the weaknesses in their wives or their husbands. Any of y'all good at that? Come on now. <laughs> How many of y'all are good at finding all the problems in your kids? Come on, parents. 
You're probably pretty good at it. How many kids are real good at finding all the problems with their parents? How many of y'all find problems with your brothers and your sisters? <laughs> That's kind of easy, isn't it? But I want to tell you, let's not be problemologists. Let's focus on the fact I'm the problem. You know, I like that song. It's not my brother. It's not my sister. It's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Can I get anybody this morning to agree with that? Are y'all just real good at looking at other people and finding their faults, their blemishes, their mistakes? I've told y'all many times, and I'm going to tell you one more time, when I look in the mirror every morning, I see Sam's biggest problem. You know who keeps me from getting out and exercising and walking like I ought to and taking care of this body? It's Sam. <laughs> you know who eats that dessert I shouldn't be eating? It's me. <laughs> you know who is lacking causing me to lack in studying my Bible, it's me. You know who keeps me from praying like I ought to pray? It's me. It's not y'all. Y'all do, are y'all getting this? You say, now Brother Sam, I didn't come over here this morning and get to hear you get up there and tell me how bad I am. Well, I want to tell you, we're bad. We're sinners. Every one of us. Don't be a problemologist. <laughs> Now, I know if you're running a business and you've got people working for you and they're, and they're a problem, you need to point it out. I, I understand there's legitimate times for that. But don't be an expert in that. Try to, the Bible says to judge your own selves, whether you're in the faith or not. And so, Paul in Romans chapter 7 is being very open and honest and transparent about his own weaknesses. And let's hear what he says uh, in Romans chapter 7. Uh, and there's so much here, I don't want to get into all of it. But he says, uh, he says in verse 18, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would do, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. We're talking here about the Apostle Paul. Do y'all struggle with this? I found a poem a while back that I really enjoyed reading and studying. I want to share it with y'all this morning. Two natures beat within my breast. The one is foul, the other is blessed. The one I love, the one I hate. The one I feed will dominate. <laughs> do you know you got a nature in you this morning that can love people and do for people and be kind to people? And you've also got a nature in you this morning that can be jealous and hateful and disagreeable and hard to get along with. Those are two natures and they fight all the time. And the one you feed is the one that's going to dominate. Now, the reason we want to read our Bibles is because we're feeding that good nature. I don't ever read the Bible and it tempts me to go out and gossip and talk about people and run people down. When I'm reading the Bible, it's feeding my inner man. It's strengthening me. When I'm praying, and I tell you, I've tried to pray a lot this week. There's been so many prayer requests. Uh, you know, God has blessed me with friends from here to California. And I've just got a long prayer list. You need a prayer list. I've been trying to pray. Now, I tell you, I don't ever get up from my knees in prayer tempted to sin. 
No, that feeds my inner man. Coming to church. I tell you, I enjoyed the singing this morning. It just had a special anointing to me. It really did. I kept thinking about what Elder Bird told me one time. After a song service, he was present. He was in his 80s, an old preacher. And I got up and announced that we were going to change the order of service from singing to preaching. And Brother Bird said, Brother Sammy, I've never heard you preach as good as we're singing. I felt that way this morning. I tell you, the singing blessed me. Singing the hymns of Zion. You know what? That, that feeds that inner man. How many of y'all love that song? Uh, uh, well, I can't even think of the title of it right now. It's one of the new songs. I tell you, that song moves me almost to tears every time I hear it. Singing helps a troubled soul. Brother from Birmingham sent me a group this morning singing. And I tell you, I just listened to it over and over. Brother Ronnie sent me a song the other day sung by a young woman. And she's talking about, uh, you know, she's living in victory because Christ lives in her. And she said, I know how I've made it. I've made it by His amazing grace. How many of y'all can witness with that today? Singing those kind of hymns strengthens that inner man. You'd be a lot better off listening to a lot less <laughs> secular music and listening more to the hymns of Zion. I tell you, that all strengthens that inner man. So we've got this warfare going on within us right here in my body are two natures, a sinful nature and a good nature. And I need to be feeding the good nature and crucifying the old nature and not giving in to it. I tell you. That, that's wonderful. You know, jealousy is a common thing in our world today. It's the green-eyed monster. A lot of jealousy in our world. Young, young girls jealous of other girls that they think might be prettier than they are. Uh, young, you know, bright, uh, some students jealous of other students because they're making better grades. Some are jealous on the, on the ball field. A lot, of, a lot of jealousy in our world. Je people are jealous of other men's business because they're making more money than I am. And, and there's jealousy in the ministry. There's jealousy in the church. I want to tell you, there's jealousy is everywhere. What you and I are taught to do in the Bible, in Romans 8, is to mortify the deeds of the flesh. That word mortify is related to the word mortician. What I'm to do constantly with my sinful nature is mortify it, crucify it, bring it under subjection. And Paul is talking about his battle right here. Now notice, come down to the last part of Romans 7. He said, oh, wretched man that I was. <laughs> no, oh, wretched man that I am. Who should deliver me from the body of this death? How many of you all this morning in this house right now, actually, if you would just be honest with your weaknesses and your failures, could say with me, I'm just a wretch. That's what Newton said in the hymn, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. You remember the woman I preached on her recently from Luke chapter 7, who, who came into the house of Simon the Pharisee. Jesus had been invited to Simon's house to, for a meal. 
And Jesus was sitting there, and this woman of sin came into the house, and she was broken, she was tearful, she was ashamed, she was convicted of her sins. And she began to wash the feet of Jesus with her tears. You know, we've all shed some tears, but this woman, I mean, her eyes were like fountains. And she was weeping so much that she could wash the feet of Jesus with her tears. You know why she's weeping? Because of her sins. How many of y'all have ever seen yourself as a wretched sinner to the point that you would weep over your sins? She's weeping. She washes his feet with her tears. She takes the glory of a woman, her hair, and dries her, his feet with her hair. She kisses his feet. And Simon the Pharisee is sitting over there in his scornful seat, looking at that woman. And he says, if Jesus were a prophet, he wouldn't let that woman touch him. He wouldn't know what kind of woman she is. See, Simon sees her as a wretch, not himself as a wretch. The woman doesn't look up at Simon and say, you arrogant old Pharisee, no. No, sir. She's looking at herself and saying, I'm the wretch. You know, that's when you can really begin to worship. See, if you're just looking at everybody else's wretchedness, you can't worship. But it's when you see yourself. Jesus said, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Mourning over what? Our sins. See, I can't, I can't help people see their sinful condition. Only the Spirit of God can do that. In, in Luke 7, there are three miracles. One miracle is when Jesus heals a centurion servant who is near death. Jesus just speaks the word. That's a miracle. Another miracle is a woman had lost her son and they were on their way to the cemetery and Jesus stops the funeral procession and, and raises the young man back to life. How many would say that's a miracle? But I want to tell you a greater miracle than those two. When this woman of sin is convicted by the Holy Spirit and made to realize her sinfulness, her guilt, and she comes to Jesus, weeping. And, and Simon is over there in his seat of judgment saying, if Jesus were a prophet, he'd know. Well, he, he was a prophet. He knew all about the woman, and he knew what was going on in Simon's mind. See, Simon was talking to himself. Y'all ever talk to yourself? My wife bought me a shirt the other day just for kicks. It says, if you see me talking to myself, it's just because I'm trying to get expert advice. <laughs> I'm a little ashamed to wear it, but it's a comfortable shirt. <laughs> you know what an expert is? An expert, an ex is a has-been, and a spurt is a drip under pressure. <laughs> we got all kinds of experts telling us everything about COVID-19. Have you all found that out? <laughs> What I've decided is, one thing I know for sure, I don't know much about the virus. But oh, oh, Simon, he's an expert. He's sitting over there in his seat, looking down on Jesus, looking down on this woman. Well, Jesus knows exactly what he's thinking. How many of y'all are glad God created us in a way so that nobody can tell what we're thinking? Come on now. <laughs> I got one good strong amen on that one. 
How many of y'all would be willing to wear a screen over your head right now that would print out in English every thought that you ever have? Any volunteers? I wouldn't even want to know. He didn't understand the question. I got one volunteer. We'll proceed. I want to tell you. I'm glad God didn't fix us that way. If y'all had screens right now over your head, some of you would be flashing. When is he ever going to sit down? <laughs> That'd be discouraging to a preacher, wouldn't it? <laughs> See, you and I, our thoughts are secret to us, but not to him. He knows every thought you'll ever have. So Jesus says to the Pharisee, he says, Simon, I have somewhat to say to thee. And, and uh, Simon said, Say on, Master. And he tells this story about two people who owed debts. One owed 50 pence and one owed 500 pence. Now, I've heard all kinds of theories by Bible students on what that pence represented. I don't know. A pence could have been a day's wages. If that was true, then the man owed 50 days. Others have said a pence represented a week's wages. I don't know. One thing I know... Owing 50 pence is not nearly as bad as owing 500 pence. I do know that. One of them had a great big debt. But you know, neither one of them could pay. So you know what happened? The one they owed the money to just forgave them the debt. Jesus was telling this Pharisee this story. And Jesus says, which one of these do you think loved him most? And the Pharisee had... The answer, well, I suppose the one who was forgiven most. How many of y'all know you've been forgiven today, a debt you couldn't pay? And you weren't going to end up in a jail in Georgia. You were going to end up in hell. And Jesus paid it all. And you know why He did it? Because He loved us. And you know what? You and I ought to be loving Him. More and more and more. That's one reason I try to preach to help me and others try to love Him more. Now I want to close. That's some good news. I want to come now to Romans chapter 8 where the Apostle would say, uh, let's see. He says in verse 16, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ Jesus. If you all got word today that you're going to be getting a letter in the mail from a wealthy relative of yours that's died, and they've included you in their will, and you're going to be getting a letter explaining it all, how many of y'all would be going to the mailbox? <laughs> Come on, folks. That's a simple question. You'd probably trot out there. <laughs> Right? Sure. If, if, some, if some wealthy relative had died and we got word they've left us a lot of inheritance, we'd be excited about it. Now, most of us aren't going to be getting a letter like that. But you know, you've already got a letter like that. And it's right here in the Bible. He tells us that you're an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. You know what that means? You've already got a mansion in heaven waiting for you. Already paid for. It doesn't have to have any termite uh, contract. 
You don't need flood insurance on it. No, sir, it's paid for. And you're bound for that city. I tell you, we've got a glorious God. And I want to love Him more. How many of y'all just want to love Him? And love Him more and more and more. That's the great commandment, to love the Lord thy God. With all thy heart and soul and mind and might. I know this morning we're sitting here in these bodies in this natural building and heaven, you know, to some people just, we just can't even imagine there is such a place. But there is. My precious brother Hezekiah is up there. You know, right before he died, he was blessed to sing that little song, How Wonderful Heaven Must Be. Wouldn't it be wonderful to leave this world singing that? I've heard about a lot of people in their moments of death start reaching up. They're seeing something that you can't see with the natural eye. I know the grave out here is real, but brother, there's something beyond the grave. Heaven. Jesus is coming back. 